I thought we'd start today's show with a letter because we haven't done that in a long time. And this one just came in as soon as I got to the studio, so I figured, why not? This listener writes, Dear Alex, just wanted to say that I love the podcast, and one of the things that I really appreciate about what you do is that you feature Canadian artists on a regular basis. As a proud Canadian who believes in the artistic community of my country, it gives me great pleasure to see them being represented on shows like yours. Just wanted to write and say thank you for giving us Canadians airtime and keep up the great work. Love, Mike Reno of Loverboy. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Uh, but that would have been cool, right? If Mike Reno had written a sweet little note. Uh, the letter was from Terrence from Vancouver. And Terrence, thank you for writing. And yes, I will always feature Canadian artists because I love Canada and Canadian music. And my support will always be with them. And proving that point. My guest today on the program, he's from Canada. Good timing, Terrence. Who is it, you're probably wondering? Well, I'll give you a hint. It's not Mike Reno. I'm Alex Green. That narrows it down, right? And this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. The rain will raise the vent. The night will raise the moon. Rapid fence like a rotten tooth And the world is reordered from below There's floating lights behind your eyes Battleships and jellyfish From the ditch of fiction truth will rise And the world is reordered from below Floor window curtains raised Raise the window and call my name Volcano, volcano That is the music of my guest today on the program, Steve Lamke. Let me tell you a little bit about Steve Lamke. Stephen Lamke rose to prominence as the guitarist of the mighty Canadian outfit The Constantines. The Juno Award-nominated band are a personal favorite of mine. Uh, how to describe their sound? I don't know. I've always heard touches of Fugazi, The Replacements, A Little Husker Do, and Credence. Either way you cut it, every note The Constantines play is redolent with integrity and heart. By the time the Ontario-born Lamke joined the Constantines in 1999, he'd already been in a band called Captain Copilot, and he'd finished his university degree in physics at the University of Guelph. He took a busman's holiday from the Constantines to release albums on his own under the name Baby Eagle, which featured guest appearances from folks like John K. Sampson of the Weaker Thans and Julie Doiron. Lamke's artist-run label, You've Changed Records, put out several more of his albums, including his brand new one, Volcano Volcano, a swirling blend of fractured folk, sprightly indie rock, and lo-fi bedroom pop, all recorded, by the way, using dollar store shakers and guitars procured at Goodwill. Volcano Volcano is a charming blend of raw and nervy music that infectiously rips right through the delicious chaos. This album is uplifting and weird and lovely and real. And whether it's the percussive the world filled to the brim or the rolling pop perfection of Bats and Blue Twilight, this is one of the most delightful 
inspiring, and wonderfully raucous albums I've ever heard. And this conversation is awesome. So here you go. Me and Stephen Lampke having a chat right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. I, I mean, I totally have abandoned any like illusion of there being like a third party. And so like, if I'm posting on the labels, like Instagram, like I just, at this point, I'm just totally like, yeah, this is me. Like I'm, it's written in the first person. It's not written in some like abstract imaginary, like uh advertiser voice, you know, it's just right. my own. Um, which is at some point I just had to adopt that because the other thing just felt so, so false <laughs> and not fun like it wasn't fun to write in that voice so it's more it is more satisfying to write in my own voice and just sort of admit that this is just me writing about myself <laughs> on a different instagram account um but yeah it is a lot of stuff and like it it's it's there's a nice element of handing some of that stuff off i think for sure but there like like i said there's pros and cons to this this almost entirely DIY approach, you know, that I I've adopted for myself. I know what you mean though. Cause like the, con- the contrivance of right, the third party voice at this, like this omniscient entity announcing the arrival of something. And you're like, all right, it's just me. Yeah. <laughs> that must've been a relief for you to kind of go, all right, just fuck it. <laughs> total, relief, total relief. And, and just like, uh, it felt like I was reclaiming my dignity a little bit. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Right. Right. It's like the illusion is over. Who who are we kidding? Um, Absolutely. Are you, do you find that you are, um, when you're doing administrative type things that you're, you can keep your head in the game or are you thinking like, God, I really wish I was, I was doing something different. Or do you realize like, that's something that I, that's a necessary evil. I need to, not even an evil. It's just a necessary thing um, to move things forward. Yeah, like a, a bit of both, like obviously, but that would be the same like with any kind of, with any job or whatever, like anything in your life, like there's, you know, like there's probably days where you don't feel like writing or there's probably days where you don't feel like making dinner or you'd rather be doing something else or whatever. Yeah. So it's, I do like definitely have that feeling of like, oh, like I'm doing too much of men and this isn't what I signed up for, what I want to do. But like at the same time, like big picture, like, it, it's fine. Like it just, it's, it feels like on the same order of magnitude as anybody else's life and trying to balance those things would be, you know, like rehearsing is also sometimes like not super fun and you'd rather be out playing tennis or playing basketball or whatever it is. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's just like, it's fine. Like big picture. It, it's like, I think like I was saying earlier, like f- when I'm working for somebody else, like if I'm, if I'm administrating, like, doing some administrative work like for the release of julie's record like that doesn't feel like it doesn't feel different or separate from like my creative life like it feels like part of my creative life it's just when i'm doing it for myself like by myself it it 
there's too much space for like the sort of doubts to creep in, you know, and the, and the, the lonesomeness to creep in. It's also easier to promote other people's stuff um, rather than your own. Like I'd rather at a party, I'd rather talk about somebody else's books than my own. You know, I'd rather not talk about my own stuff. I don't know why that is. Maybe when I was younger, I would have rather talked about my own stuff. But now that I'm older, I, I it embarrasses me to to have that conversation. It's sort of like, here's a book I'm reading by somebody else, which is fantastic and and better than mine. <laughs> and let's talk about that. I don't, do you feel that way too about like t- in conversation, just talking about what you're doing? I do. I mean, I I I feel like I'm naturally a very shy person, so like I definitely undersell myself or don't give enough details if somebody asks like what it is that I work on or what it is that I do yeah. I, I I underplay it sort of as a as a default and I, I that's not great like I don't feel great about that habit I have um it is definitely easier in some ways to like get enthusiastic and talk about someone else's record that I'm helping release um than my own but um I also do like talking about my own work and stuff like, so I was looking forward to this conversation as well. So like, I don't know, it, it can be different depending on the context, but um, celebrating somebody else's is, is pretty much always easy and fun to do for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and also I've, I've found that if you get your ego out of it, like I, I read a couple of books recently that are like, like Patrick DeWitt or, Paul Murray or I can't, who else? Kevin Wilson. I've read these books and I thought these guys are so good. 30 years ago, I would have like been so, uh, my ego would have been like, I can never be as good as these guys. Right. And now I kind of feel like, I, I think it's beautiful to kind of celebrate people who, who make you, you know, kind of make your heart sing, you know, and it feels like, so maybe getting older is kind of like the ego starts to calm down a little bit. Have you, do you find that as well? Yeah. Well, I think, I, I mean, I hope so. I hope yeah. the ego's coming I hope I just haven't like internalized all the rejection and, and failure. <laughs> there's, right. probably, there's probably an element of that too. Um, <laughs> it's sort of the negative flip side of that feeling you're describing. I think like, I don't know. I definitely in the sense of like a really feeling and in my deep core that like, yeah, like working in collaboration or in support of someone else or like helping like nurture sort of someone else's creativity, like that to me feels just as important and on the same sort of plane and even like kind of the exact same thing as like nurturing my own creativity. So I I do feel like that's like a, that's a very real feeling for me. So I think that's could be described as, you know, a lessening of lessening of my own ego. But I'm not sure. Like I don't know if I, I don't know if I entirely understand like the psychoanalytic terms of ego and that kind of stuff. But, um, yeah, I, like I, I do think like I want to feel myself like a part of things, you know, yeah. part of the world. And so like if I sit myself and like play a song even if no one's listening, like I do want to feel like that song's like a part of the world. And so if I'm helping like someone else put their song out into the world, that feels great too. Like it just sort of feels like the same activity of like participation and positive participation in the world. Yeah. It's all part of one large artistic conversation that has been going on for hundreds of years. Absolutely. And like that idea of the conversation, like, 
is a good, actually a good way to sort of, for me to think about this or maybe try to describe that feeling like participating in a conversation with Julie feels creative in the same way. And it feels like, it feels like a conversation in the same way, like maybe me putting my own workout feels like a potential conversation. Yeah. And, and it's interesting to me because I think like there's a certain element also of, of efficacy, you know, like I found now, like I'm 51 now and I, now I can sit down and get to the work and get right in there um, and, and start the conversation. Whereas in the old days, and I find myself doing this a lot lately where I'm sort of like when I was younger and now I'm, now I'm a little bit older, it's like, okay, I'm doing that a lot lately, which is probably boring, but I do think that I'm better at getting to the heart of the matter. Whereas in the old mm. days, it would have taken me a longer time pages and pages and days and days to get where I wanted to be. Are you finding that as well as, as you get older as an artist? I mean, when I feel that, I do feel that sometimes. And when I feel that, that feels good for sure. I feel like you asked me that question today. Like, I feel like right now I'm actually stumbling a little bit with like my sort of generative creative work. Um, I have a project that I'm hoping to, kind of get started on and it's not going super well so far so i'm having those sort of like <laughs> very beginning preliminary kind of like uh struggles so to answer that question really positively right now today when we're talking it feels a bit false if i were to answer it really positively but in the bigger picture i do think so i do think like i've gotten better at when i when i I definitely feel like I've gotten better of like when I feel the spark or feel the thing that indicates like, oh, like the song's about to happen or the poem's about to happen or whatever it is. Like I maybe recognize it and can chase it a little bit more effectively than in the past where I would just get hung up on one line forever and, you know, or it would take, take forever to write a song or whatever it was. Yeah, I think also when you are working on one line, and you can't get it right. I find that's when your mood sours the most. Like when when someone you get a phone call, it feels so intrusive. Or when you're trying to just live your daily life and you haven't sorted out that line, I find that to be the most disruptive emotionally. You know, and you kind of like you just want to finish it. Yeah, I, I think actually maybe like as as I am getting older, like I'm also more willing to just set something aside or just to be like mm. this one didn't work. You know, it's gone. Like rather than like keep trying to force it, like. I still do a little bit trying to force it because sometimes like that leads to the, it leads to a good place. So like, I don't, I don't want to be too quick to abandon something. There's like a Leonard Cohen line, like about like, you just keep working on the song, like chipping away at it and sooner or later it will yield. He says, so like, I do like, I do ascribe to that as well. Like I don't, I don't, I don't, I think stuff does take work sometimes. So I do want to work at it, but, if something's just not, I, I'm also realize how much like the bigger picture has been improved sometimes by setting something aside, like leaving a song off the album or whatever, you know, like sometimes makes the album immeasurably better. Yeah. Like that. And that's really putting it aside, right? Like I, it won't even be on the album. Um, yeah. And I think Leonard Cohen was right about pretty much everything. Um, but, but I think that he is totally right. And I, I've told the story before where I was, I was doing a reading and I, and the poem yielded after the book was published and I was doing the reading and I went, Oh, and I changed the line while I was reading, but it wasn't in the book. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing that's really wonderful and unique about like 
writing a song versus writing a poem. Like writing, and I do a bit of both. Like I haven't published very much poetry or anything, but like I do write. Um, but like, yeah, the idea with a song is like, it's sort of inherent in the form that like, you're going to perform it again. Like yeah. it's, so to even like, when I'm trying to think about what a song is, it's actually really hard to sort of nail down because it's like the song is sort of like, the potential to be performed. It's sort of like the the thing you're gonna do. But so there's always that possibility to like sing it different next time, change the line, whatever you want to do. And it's still the song, like it's still the thing. Where I don't know if like a somebody working in poetry has that same automatic feeling of like this thing is alterable. It can I think if you've published it, it probably feels like, oh, it's complete. And like I mean, I think you and Julie touched on this in the conversation um, you had with her a few weeks ago. Like, she talks about like wanting to change the songs or just play the songs or reactivate the songs like differently in the solo shows or in the in the group shows that she does. Like, however, so I feel like that's really inherent in the idea of a song, you know, that it it can be changed. So, um, I mean, I think that's great that you did it at the reading. You know, you changed your poem. That's to me. That's just like yeah. That's just what you do. That's you know. That's amazing. But that's like thinking from like the songwriter perspective. You know, the song could be very different tomorrow. You know, Bob Dylan's still singing his songs, but they're different each time. And there's people that track all the ways the word, the lyrics have shifted and the melodies have shifted yeah. and all that kind. Of, you know? I I remember I went to see Dylan in '89 here in Berkeley, and my my favorite Dylan song at the time was "Tangled Up in Blue," which it might still be. I don't even really know. And um, he played this song and, uh, and I turned to my friend and I said, that was kind of cool. What was that? And he goes, that was, that was tangled up in blue. And I was like, wait a minute, <laughs> how is that possible? It didn't resemble it at all. Okay. Was he actually changing the words or just the sort of whole musical? De- he changed all of, I think he changed all of it. I didn't recognize any of it. It was like my favorite song. You know, I was like, I didn't hear yeah. the, the shoes line. I heard nothing. I mean, Leonard Cohen kind of did that a little bit too with Hallelujah. Like there's lots of different verses to Hallelujah that are, if you hear different live versions, he'll do them slightly different or different covers. Like Katie Lang sings different ones that were yeah. recorded in the Leonard Cohen versions and stuff. So um, I really like that. Like, I think it's what does, one of the things that does appeal to me about songwriting and music is that these things are alive, you know, they're, they're kind of their own, they, their own they have their own existence the song does so yeah it's cool it's I, I mean I, I don't know like i remember you know being from the bay area the grateful dead come to mind quickly where it's sort of like nothing on the album resembles anything that was happening on the stage i mean they just really spread out and a five minute song might turn into a 45 minute song have you found with your own compositions that whether when you're when you're playing them live that they sort of just organically will take flight in ways that you didn't know, or can that happen? I'm not a musician, so it's hard for me to, to understand that. Like, or do you just follow a direction or is it, how does that happen? Like, how does that sort of spreading out thing happen? I mean, I don't have like a super active live practice right now, to be honest, but like I definitely experienced that thing you're describing more readily like with the Constantines like when I was playing in that band you know and we were touring a lot and so some of it comes from boredom mm. I would say you know <laughs> and, yeah. and like trying to like sort of keep like 
like ah like like pushing out kind of like pushing out at like just the constraints you feel after playing a song a bunch of times um that's the sort of negative feeling maybe that can inspire but also just like when you are doing something with other people again like it's opening up different pathways so i i think that like um that opening is easier to access with other people like in a band or a group setting um a little bit harder for me to do like when i'm playing a solo show of my tunes like i think just because my maybe my focus is different too like um trying to deliver like the the poems deliver the songs you know yeah um in a way like and i don't mean that like i'm super strict with them but it's a little bit more about like the essence rather than like let's see where this can go you know and then pushing it um so i don't know like it's it definitely can happen like when a group is 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 listening to each other and definitely like sort of in conversation with each other like calling that stuff a conversation like is a bit of bringing in a metaphor but it's also like pretty accurate to how like that happens you know and that involves listening and speaking and, you know, making sound and listening to the other person's sound. So um, with the Constantines, like, you know, we, it just sort of was happening and it was just sort of an expression of that group energy. And then we did, we really did latch onto some of that and try to build spots in the set list for that to happen, you know? For those potentials to happen and some nights it would work really great and some nights i'm sure it was kind of like whatever but um <laughs> you know it was cool and fun and rewarding you know to do that that songbook the constantine songbook to me is like the songs feel so economical and and muscular and tight but there's also in every in every one of them there's also a moment where it could divert you could totally see how it can be there's a duality, I think, in, in those songs. So I could see how that could happen. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was sort of built in consciously on some of them later on, particularly. And I think at first it was just sort of like a bit of a unconscious expression, like of our group, group mind. Um, the early songs are all kind of like more or less vamps on one chord each song too. So it's like, it kind of makes that idea of jamming and stretching out like a little bit easier, like, cause you don't need a lot of musical know-how to sort of jam with one chord. You were mentioning the stumbling and I think for any young artist who listens to the show, someone who's in their career or later on in their career, wherever, someone who is a creative person who, who hears you talking about the stumbling, which I appreciate you talking about because I I experience it all the time too. How do you articulate the stumbling to yourself? Like, ah, this doesn't feel, I haven't, I haven't found the open road in this project. It doesn't feel, um, it's not where I want it to be, which is a weird feeling. Um, anyone who's creative knows this. Um, how do you articulate that to yourself and how do you navigate that? I think, hmm. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's maybe the short end. <laughs> I, like, I would say, like, I want to find, like, 
the positive feeling. Like I want to find the element that I'm curious about in a positive way. So like if it's not happening, then I think, oh, like I need to sort of just stoke my general curiosity about life in the world and and that kind of thing a little bit. And I also think like I need to just sort of not lose heart and just sort of keep working, just keep, keep sort of playing, you know? The other thing that's nice about music as opposed to just like writing is like, I find it actually really stimulating and like a bit of a release of like the growing negative feelings if I'm stumbling to just like straight up like practice the guitar, like mm-hmm. actually like do like rudiments or just like, you know, learns like do something musical that doesn't have to involve my own creativity. So like learn some better or different like finger picking things on the guitar or like play the recorder, or, like you know, the melodeon or whatever. You know what I mean? Like anything like that's like just uh can inspire that feeling of musicality can then help with like the writing or the sort of creative side. But like giving a bit of a release from that pressure to like generate everything myself. So that's like another thing that's sort of nice about working in music is I can sort of, if I'm stuck, if I'm stumbling, like I can do something like that. Like, and I don't know, like I'm sure writers probably have techniques too to just do something else to get, get it happening. But yeah. um, So I, in terms of like, how to work through that like that's like sort of an early thing you know just do that just sort of and then when reapplying that to like actually generating the stuff like if it's still still not quite working like just try to be really free just write free pages just just jam and blather out whatever comes you know (laughs) and don't worry about it like try to take away the worry and the pressure anything to take away the worry and the pressure Go for a walk, honestly. I know Julie was talking about that too, like in the yeah. conversation. But I'm like, I'm similar to her in the sense of just like stuff happens, stuff clicks into place. Walking, you know, some of the some of the barriers seem to fall away. But just go for a walk or do something, you know. Yeah, because even though it feels like you're walking away from it, you're probably also walking towards it, you know, by by letting yourself do that. I think. Yeah. I think just sort of changing stuff up. Like if I'm really stumbling, just changing stuff up. Sometimes that's like going for a walk with headphones, listening to somebody else or whatever. Sometimes it's like not no headphones and just like being out in the world. And, you know, like, so I don't like, it's, I think part of it is being okay with it. It's going to look a little different every time, you know, and there's just trying to pl- apply different techniques to until something clicks, you know? And, yeah. And, I, you know, like, the nice thing about having done a lot of whatever, made a lot of stuff really in a way, like is that understanding of like, sometimes it comes easy. Sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes it's going to come this way. Sometimes it's going to come a different way and just sort of being patient a little bit with it um, in a way that I probably wouldn't have been when I was much younger, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that was, that's the nice thing about getting older is that there is, I think patience even though like you know you're you're aware that you're running out of time you're also very you're also very patient in a way that you weren't when you were 25 you know yeah because you've had that experience of like of of stumbling in the past and then realizing like oh it it can come 
it'll maybe come tomorrow or it'll come whatever this afternoon rather than this morning or whatever it is. So just that experience, you know, can be useful to, to, to help remove some of the worry. Cause the worry, the worry and the pressure is the thing that's not creative really for me. Right. In certain circumstances, like it can be like, just like, okay, it's time to commit. Cause that's the other thing I, I do know, like, my own struggles like sometimes are like like depression or worry or whatever manifests as like indecisiveness so sometimes like pressure or like a deadline can just force your hand and force you to be decisive and i ultimately think a lot of times being decisive is a pretty productive creative thing you know um so Sometimes pressure can be good. Yeah, you know, no, for sure. And also the the recognition that you, like, I had a great idea for a book, um, but I realized it wouldn't be a great book, right? It's like it's a it's a good idea, but it wouldn't be a good book. And and I thought like, oh, that's a weird place to be in. And so, in the new book I'm writing, this guy mentions he wrote that book, and it wasn't very good. <laughs> that's how I that's how I dealt with it. I'm like, all right. But I, I kind of started writing it and realized, okay, this is this idea is not going to go where I wanted it to go, even though the the even though it still sounds like a good idea, it's not. It's not going to work. So for you, sometimes even something putting something aside, um, where you go, God, I really do like the thought that I had, but either now mm-hmm. it's not going to happen, or maybe it won't ever happen. Do you kind of just go like, oh, we'll just see. No pressure. Let's just see if it does or it doesn't. No big deal. Totally. Totally. Um, yeah. And again, like with a practice as a songwriter, like, you know, you put it aside, you left it, left it off the album or whatever, like, but maybe I'd play it at the show. Like, who knows? You know, like, it's not like, it's not like you've, you know, euthanized it and buried it in the garden or whatever. Like, you know what I mean? It's still, it still exists there. And that was a little bit more graphic than it needed to be. Um, yeah, so yeah, like that. I definitely have that feeling of like, yeah, who knows? It, it might might come back. Like, there's been times where I thought, like, oh, maybe this. There's even been times where I'm like, okay, this is the actual start. This this is the start of the next record or the next batch of songs. And in a way, like that song that I put aside that became like the start of the next record. Like, in the end, it didn't even make it on that record, but it wow. did help lead that record in a way. So like. The stuff like I don't know it just it can have different lives and uses and I don't I've never regretted leaving a song off a record but I have regretted putting songs on records before <laughs> so <laughs> to be totally candid yeah um, I can relate yeah so I think like putting putting stuff aside can be really it can be weirdly generative in a way you know because it can start something else you know even if it's like Putting aside, even if it's something you really like, can be a good thing for sure. Also, time is weird because I remember years ago when I was in grad school, <clears throat> I asked my professor, I said, how do you know when your book is done? And she said, when your 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 collection of papers that is your manuscript falls off the desk and you don't care what page it opens to, right? You, you Nothing will embarrass you. Like, you're good. And I remember when I put my first book out, I was like, I really felt that way. I don't think I feel that way anymore. I think I think sometimes time can cycle you out of the stuff that you used to love that you created. Have you found that too? 
Yeah, and I think that's like a good reason to like actually to finish things, you know? Like again, like working entirely by myself on my own label, like I don't have a manager, like or you know, like there's nobody like asking for anything from me, you know? So right. like I could keep tweaking an album forever, you know, forever. And no one's gonna like say like, is the album done yet, Steve, or whatever. Like there's just like there's no figure in my life to say that to me. So like um in my situation like i have to be the one to be like no it's actually good to just like this one's done you know package it up tie the bow on it you know this one's done and then like then make the next thing or whatever like because i could like yeah in my own life like i could just tweak something forever or just keep working on it and like there is no like there's no external imposition of like an endpoint or anything you know and like it's part of what's fun about working in the form of like an album or whatever. It's like, well, the album is when you have 12 songs or whatever it is, you know, like that is an external format that is sort of agreed to, but like it's completely arbitrary and it like, there's not even like any physical reason for it to be any which length really nowadays. Like if you're just thinking about your album going up on Bandcamp or a streaming service or something like it could be, a million songs long, you know? Right. <laughs> like, right. Like this. So for like the idea of the album is like a weird archaic sort of thing in some ways, but it is also like what I grew up with. And so it's for me a useful form to think about like that's the size of a thing. The size of a project is an album a lot of times. I'm trying to get out of that a little bit, but like um I'm not trying to, but I'm realizing like I'm really satisfied when I've broken out of that thinking a little bit but um it's also it is just a nice sort of it's a nice scale to it's a nice scale of an idea to put out into the world you know 10 or 10 or 13 or 15 songs or whatever it is um i mean a book could be any length so i've had that i've and i've actually had that feeling with the difference between writing a song and a poem. It's like, how do I know when the poem's done? Like, I know the song's done when there's three verses and a bridge, you know, and a chorus. <laughs> you know, like that, then my song's done. Like, but like the poem, you know, there's no verses or choruses or whatever. Like, how do you know when it's done? I know. So sometimes like working within a form can be very
Is there a kind of phantom limb for you where, because there was a manager, there was a label, there was an apparatus in place in a, in a lot of different areas of your musical life. Do you feel the sort of ghost of those things or is it kind of a relief not to be dealing with that kind of machinery? In terms of making the, the thing and, and what we were just talking about, like that ghost is definitely more just from growing up with albums as like a thing, you know, growing up reading about like, you know, what made whatever born to run or darkness on the edge of town, like a, you know, a cohesive thing and be like, yeah. Oh, cool. That's the thing. Or, um, you know, so, and like, so for me, like that ghost impulse or like that default setting of like, that's this form and the scale is just from growing up in an era still where albums, I mean, I grew up in like, definitely like the CD era and albums were like 80 minutes long and stuff. Yeah. Cause on CD, and it's pretty funny. Like, I try not to engage in nostalgia too much, but like, obviously, sometimes it's really fun to go back and listen to like a record you haven't heard, and maybe had mixed feelings about even at the time. Like, go back and listen to something, and like, um, obviously, like, there's always anniversary reissues and all that kinds of stuff to remind you of things. But like, it is funny going back and like listening to like a record from like I don't know the '90s or whatever, and just the way it's structured is so different and like the duration of it is so different. And like, it feels really alien in a way and really sort of funny. Like I listened to um, new adventures in hi-fi, the REM album. Um, I mean, a couple years ago now I went through a bit of a like revisiting REM thing. And like that album is really long. It's pretty great. Like there's lots of great songs on it, but they've also like, like the is it electrolyte is that what the song's called like it's like kind of like the catchiest song on the album buried so deep it might even be the last song like it's like the assumption that people are gonna listen like 80 minutes into like your weird art rock version of your sort of pop band like <laughs> to like the hit is so foreign to the thinking now um where you would just like just stack it like or just release it just as a single on streaming or whatever it is like it's just, I was struck, like, I don't want to call it hubris, but just by the assumption that, like, oh, people are going to listen. Like, that does not exist really right now. Like, I know as, like, somebody that runs a record label and tries to help people put out records, like, nobody assumes anyone's going to listen to anything, you know? Like, or, like, we assume attention spans are so short, you know? Um, so it's funny and like yeah those albums are long like people are making really long records then. I, don't know. I know i know it was almost as if they because they realized oh this can hold this much music yeah right <clears throat> let's yeah. fill it up and they i mean like that was what the record like the sort of vinyl record album was too like it can fit 35 to 40 minutes before you start to really lose sound quality so it's like that's how long the record was right so these things are like, there are these sort, like if you're thinking about art, just for like the art part of it, these other things are kind of arbitrary impositions, you know, from the world. They're not arbitrary because the thing that's nice about that is like, oh, it's, it's kind of the physical world, like the real shared physical world knocking on your door and being like, no, like you can only jam for 40 minutes here, you know, because that's all yeah. that's going to fit on. Which is like a nice sort of reminder that this stuff does live in the world. Like it's not just an abstract um, 
process that we're doing like in our imaginations like it is part of the world as well so it's funny you mentioned rem because somebody was like on facebook a few months ago someone was saying hey what's your favorite deep cut on uh life rich pageant or something and and someone said oh you know just a touch which is a great song and and i was like that's like what like track nine i'm like like Mm -hmm. you shouldn't be congratulated for going that's not that deep i mean it's like nine songs (laughs) you know you you listen to it now but now it's almost like an achievement to have said to say that you found this deep cut um because I think people's attention spans have shifted so much and it feels like we are scaling back. Um, there, there have been times that's a good, the REM example is a good example where it was like back in those days, I'd get an album by, by a band I loved. And I was like, wow, 17 songs, but <laughs> that's a lot of songs. Um, but in 1985, when I was in high school, I would have devoured it. So the, the format almost like changed the way that you were uh, um, receiving the, the art, which is kind of interesting. Totally. And like, you would put it in like the CD in your car or in your disc man or something, you know, and then went for a jog, like, and you're not going to change it. But like, if you put us put on that RM album on like your phone and go for a jog, like there's no reason you can't shift that up like halfway through your jog and like, right. you know, something else or like the, the first second your mind drifts away, like you might be like, Oh, I want to listen to whatever or like other thing instead. Um, yeah, it's weird. I don't know. Like these these things do like I don't know that they like affect like our sort of minute actions as artists, but like they do affect like the environment that we're working in as artists, you know? Right. So like I don't really know how to measure that. Like I mean, I was in the, to use, to stick with REM as an example for a while. Like I was like in the grocery store last night and the one I love came on, like they had the oldie station on the radio. And it's like, I, I mean, I'm not even a, like a super huge R.E.M. Song, fan. That song, I would say like of their hits is like probably my least favorite, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Just like as personal preference, like I'm not saying good or bad song, I'm just saying personal preference. But it's funny that like that, like the one I love and Losing My Religion are the two that like you're going to hear on like those classic like oldie stations and they're both these weird minor key songs and stuff and it's like oh these are like the big hits that have lasted you know like we, we didn't hear stand at the grocery store or, or shiny happy people or whatever you know what i mean we heard the one i love and like losing my religion i'm sure if i turn on the radio i could find it on right now like it's it's just like but like spotify algorithms are not going to choose that because they're going to like when they're auto feeding you music, they're auto feeding you stuff that sounds like other things and other hits don't sound like these minor key songs. So they're actually probably more likely to play you shiny happy people or something, mm. you know, like say you're listening to love shack, you listen to B-52's love shack on Spotify. And then it's like, Oh, at the end of this, like it's going to try and feed you something similar. It might feed you REM, but it's not going to feed you these weird minor key songs. So it's like that, like, I'm not saying that affects like how I'm writing songs or anyone I work with is writing songs, right. but it is, it is affecting like the environment in which our songs are coming out in. And I don't think, I mean, I, I'm saying that like as an observation, not saying it's good or bad. I do think in some ways it's really bad, but I'm not, I'm not like, I'm, I'm more curious about it just as like, oh, this is like an actual reality. 
that we're not noticing right now. The other thing about Spotify and stuff and like those streaming services is like the negative, there's a really negative thing that's happening that like very, I've seen very few people even really engage with. And that's like, it's, it supports like your oldest work because your oldest work has like the most streams. So it's already sort of locked in. And so like, like I work with Daniel Romano and like some we're, we're like, we put out a new record and it does really great and his fans love it. And like, it grows, like we sell a few more records every time. And like, you know, his career is growing, but like, we can't kind of dislodge these old songs from the Spotify thing because like they've been out for five years or 10 years and they've, they're just like in the system. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. It's great. There's like, there's benefit for that because it, it does generate a bit of income and stuff, but it's like, you kind of also want the new songs to be able to like come in, but like they'll come in at first, but then they drop off. So it's like, the way that listening system works and like the way that they're dispersing music favors like your older stuff in a way that's pretty destructive as an artist, you know? Um, it's really destructive if you try and think about it <laughs> at all and let it affect what you're doing. And, and like, again, like to reiterate, like nobody that I'm working with, I was looking at that stuff or thinking about it, but as like the guy that's helping them release it, like I'm looking at it and being like, that's really weird and really negative, like that that's happening. Um, so I don't know, like this in a way, like has nothing to do with music, like the making of music and making of art and stuff, but it has everything to do with like how the music is entering the world. So, well, it's like the, the art gets digested by the code right so it's like our, it's the first time ever we've seen code dictate how art gets distributed which will keep you up at night in horror if you really think <laughs> about it for longer than a second you know um because has nothing to do has nothing to do with heart it has to do with like this code is sort of using the art to pick the locks of other art <laughs> i mean it's really it's really negative yeah and like, it's, I guess it is also important to remind myself that like that stuff in terms of those algorithms and stuff, like it is essentially passive listening. Like it's kind of like the affecting the color of the wallpaper. It's not really affecting like how people are actually hearing stuff too, too much because like, I think people that are listening are choosing what to listen to and we're sort of talking about that element that comes in after it when their choice like is gone but anybody sort of paying attention is going to choose then the next thing they're going to listen to you know rather than just accept it but it is it's strange it's definitely strange <laughs> i was going to say like if you discover a new artist and be like oh like okay, I just discovered Big Thief or whatever. And then like, it's like you go to the Big Thief page on Spotify and it's like going to like, I mean, they just put out a new record. So it probably shows mostly the new record, but say they were in between like albums, it would show like those oldest songs that are locked in. Right. And those might not be the best songs and they might not be like really accurate to like, Big Thief's probably not a great example because we're 
they've been really productive and it's only the span of a few years or something but like if you're talking about a band that's putting out a few records like a record every few years or something like you could be like being presented with songs that are 10 or 15 years old as being like this is the stuff the best stuff and it's probably not the best stuff anymore if the band has stayed like productive and curious and and active and and uh creative you know so yeah it's it's strange like for daniel romano like there's a song from um sleep beneath the willow uh time forgot to change my heart that like it's still one of the top plays on spotify and it's like dan's released like without exaggeration 20 records since then you know and he's changed what he's done a lot and like it's a great song like don't get me wrong like it's a great song but it's like if if like any of us like involved in that could choose it's not the song we would have up there because it's not representative of what he's doing anymore and it's like it's like a almost different genre than anything he's doing now <laughs> right. like it's, it's pretty funny so i don't know but if i guess if you go to that and you check it out and you like it that's cool too i don't know i don't want to be a company with this stuff <laughs> But in the old days, it was it was the experience was more pure because if you loved, <clears throat> say you love Black Flag, you would just buy everything on SST, right? And if yeah. you loved Fugazi, you buy everything on Discord. And if you loved the replacements, you get whatever you can get on Twin Tone or for the or whatever the, wherever it was. And yeah. um, you know those were those were easy to you could track a band, you could track and you and the discovery process was more pure because you would say. Well, if this band's also on Twin Tone and the replacements are on Twin Tone, that feels like a safe 12 bucks to, to throw down. Yeah. And so I wonder now about the discovery process. And by the way, it wasn't always. Like it was, there were times where we went, oh, okay, that didn't work out so great. But there were times where it was amazing. Um, and I, so I wonder sometimes about the discovery process for younger bands. Like if the Constantines put their first album out in April, right? Like it's the debut album where would you guys go algorithmically how would people discover you digital i know that's what i'm that's what i'm wondering right yeah i don't know i, I don't know. know i mean I think about this stuff a little bit like you know obviously running a label like you know i grew up with like discord and like that kind of stuff you know and the label meant something you know like that sort of association like so definitely like that's in my thinking for sure like in running you changed records like we have a fairly diverse group of artists like working under this umbrella, but like, it's pretty, it's, it's really satisfying when people are discovering someone else because they came through Dan or through Julie or whatever, you know, getting like a status on status record or whatever, like an Apollo ghost record or whatever it is. Like that's really cool and really satisfying. So that does still happen a little bit, but like, I don't think it's like the kids, you know, doing that, but I could be totally wrong. I don't know. I'm, you know, 43. I don't know too much about what the kids are doing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, believe me, I know. Um, there, did you feel, as a kid, did you feel supported by your folks in terms of balancing? I know you, you were interested in, in science and, and you have a degree in physics, if, if I remember correctly, right? Um, yeah. Which is actually really cool because they always say that, you know, a sci- someone who's, who's a scientist and also a, a creative person, they those are so different, but I love that, that in your case, it's not, um, were, were your parents supportive of your artistic endeavors or were they more supportive of your academic? Um, my parents are 
parents were like, broadly speaking, really supportive for sure. But I say that with, without suggesting that they understood any of it. (laughs) 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 They were very kind. Like they let me and my friends and like our early loud, terrible, terrible bands, like practice in the house, you know, like they let that happen. And that was great. You know, that was so kind and generous and I'm sure totally crazy making of them to do like, um, but they didn't really like, there wasn't a lot of art in my house growing up, like at all or music or anything like that. So like they didn't get being an artist or they didn't get like that thing at all. Um, but they didn't object too much. And like I said, they allowed some early things to happen in like really nice way. So they were no obstacle, which is kind of in some ways like the best support you can get from a parent, you know? So like, I'm very, I'm very thankful, but yeah, like I have friends that grew up with music in the house or parents that played or like art in the house or, creative things in the house and like I definitely didn't have that you know um at all so they didn't I mean they still don't get it like they got the Constantines a little bit because there was a bit of success and they could understand like oh like you were nominated for a Juno like I've heard what a Juno award is for your American <laughs> it's like the crappy Canadian industry like award sort of equivalent of a Grammy but like you know, like that was a thing and the Junos were on TV at the time. So it's like, they okay, that's a thing. We understand that people like this and it's real. So like they could understand that level or if like they came to the show and there was lots of people, they could understand that, you know, but like they don't understand like doing music as like a failed artist. <laughs> like I feel like I'm essentially doing now. <laughs> this is tougher to explain. <laughs> Yeah, it's tougher to explain. Um, yeah, so, but like I said, they were very, they were supportive in the sense of letting us play in the house and like, whatever, they were happy that there was some level of success at one point and like, yeah, they're cool. My parents are fine. <laughs> yeah. Was, was there a plan to pursue physics at a more advanced level? Was there ever, was there ever an academic plan in place or... I like I did really well like in school so like sort of graduating high school like I like like I came from like a relatively like well like very like working class kind of family like my dad had his own business but he's a machinist like he had his own shop and like you know like I came from like that sort of small town-ish working class-ish kind of like background and like my older brother had gone to university and then, so like I graduated high school and I'd done really good in high school. And it's like, I don't like, I don't even know what life is or what to do. Like, you know, and so it just sort of like followed what I was doing well at, like, you know, and I had interest in for sure, because it's like ideas and ideas and math and stuff. Like we're always comfortable and exciting and inspiring, you know, to me. So I, but I kind of went in without like a lot of clear thought or both on the sense of, I didn't know what that world actually looked like. And also because it's like, I didn't know what any world really looked like, you know, I was maybe sheltered or something. You would almost say like, I was just sort of naive and 
went in and I, I liked school and I did good in university, like as an undergrad, but like, um, I, I did a couple like co-op placements and stuff and saw like a bit more of what that world was and I didn't love it. I saw mm-hmm. like, I saw like a kind of negative, I got it. I got into like kind of a weird negative situation. Like where I was a couple of, like I did a co-op placement where the two sort of like researcher scholar guys had gotten funding for this project and then had a complete falling out and didn't talk to each other. And I was sort of like hired to like help them sort of see through, see this project through essentially. Didn't know that was the situation I was getting into obviously. But then like, you know, it was a really like, like the whole idea of a placement like that is you're sort of being mentored and stuff. But they, right. Neither of these guys just, they didn't want to deal with the project at all. It wasn't like personal against me, but like they just didn't want to deal. And then like, so it was kind of a super bad work environment. Didn't learn anything, didn't do very well in it. And then like kind of get like a bad grade or like a bad thing. It's like, well, like you guys also didn't follow through on your <laughs> side of this. You know what I mean? So like yeah. that situation that's like, oh yeah, like that's actually like sort of how academics the academic world kind of works like at its worst you know people are just like i like i need i need a project going on like apply for some funding somewhere and get it like and they don't care about it and like i said they had this they had some sort of falling out that i have no idea any of the details on but so i ended up because of this fairly negative experience like getting a fairly negative view of that world and pretty much simultaneously to this, like the band was starting to really click, you know, and like stuff was happening and like we're getting more shows and like there was just a sort of momentum and energy. So I finished my undergrad degree, but like I was ready to rock by the time I came out of there, you know? <laughs> I get it. Yeah. So that's like a sort of like, that's my sort of personal story. And it's like, it doesn't really reflect on like any of those worlds, like more generally, you know, but it was just sort of what ended up happening to me. But it does demonstrate to, to be studying and to finish that degree, to have the band going simultaneously, it does demonstrate your capacity for discipline. I think like you're like, you strike me as a disciplined guy. Um, You know, even, even saying like, if, if, if the song isn't working, um, or I'm not feeling inspired. I'll practice guitar. I'll practice, um, or I'll go for. It's never like I'll get a bag of potato chips and watch something awful on TV. It's like you seem like you really are disciplined. If that's my read on you, do you feel that way? To a certain extent, I mean, like sometimes that like discipline does manifest as like going to the cafe and having a coffee and reading or something for a bit. But I do think that like is necessary as like a writer and as you know, a creative person to like also take stuff in, you know? Um, so I think like, I do think I'm fairly disciplined, but I, I do want to acknowledge that sometimes from the outside, it might not look like it. there might be something's going on. <laughs> you know, it might just look like I'm out playing tennis in the morning and then sitting in the cafe in the afternoon, but it's not what's actually going on. I, I think so much about creativity and I think about how we, 
you know, it's interesting how sometimes that flash of inspiration comes and, and sometimes the, the discipline, you kind of have to just like grind out the yardage sometimes. And those are, those moments can be so exasperating, but do you feel more creatively alive now than you ever have? Like, do you feel that inspired in, the, in, in a, in a totally new, exciting way? Again, not today. <laughs> no. So like, I'm trying to put that aside. Um, but like, generally I do feel pretty good. Like the pandemic has been strange, you know, yeah. for everyone. It's been terrible in different ways for everyone. And there's been like, for me creatively through this time, like the differences between the peaks and valleys have been sort of bigger than ever in a way. Like when I've done a project and been focused on a project, like it's been kind of as good and as awesome as it's ever been. And I've learned tons of stuff and like having like that sort of having lockdowns and stuff like has been a great way to focus when I've had a project and when I've been really deeply engaged in a project, but the in-betweens of those have been pretty weird and bad. Um, so it's felt like less steady, mm. um, but like what I think I've learned and like the positive thing I've really learned for myself through this last few years has been like, I like that project idea like a lot and like i like that the i've done some things that really broke me out of like oh 12 song album try to tour it a little bit try to promote a little bit then make another 12 song album try to you know what i mean like i've broken out of that i've done like other kinds of musics other kinds of projects that like don't look like that like they don't manifest like that and that to me feels totally like the way forward it feels so in that sense, I do feel like as good and as positive as I've ever felt like, because, and the reason it feels like a positive way forward is like, to me, it feels more like my life, like things, sometimes there's big things. Sometimes like there's Thanksgiving dinner, but sometimes it's just like regular dinner, <laughs> you know, and sometimes there's you know, popcorn or like salad out of a bag or whatever, you yeah. know, so it's like, and all that stuff's like totally valid and totally good. And it feeds you for the next day, like quite literally, if we're talking about food, but like for creatively, like I feel freed of that, like sort of apparatus that didn't really relate to my life in any real way anymore. Like, because like, because I don't tour a lot, like for my own stuff. And like, there was no reason, like everything sort of had to look like that, you know? And like, there's no reason everything has to look exactly like an album, like, it feels more it feels more integrated with my life to like let some of that stuff go and sometimes that is going to manifest as a record you know it's this record coming out like it's i'm not saying that's not happening but like i feel real great that the next thing i'm not gonna that like i feel great that the next thing i'm gonna do is not gonna be like another record that looks like this one like it's almost guaranteed to be something else that feels really positive and that gets me excited and, and feels really free in a way that I look for, like for feeling creative, like I, you want to feel free and engaged and curious and, and open, you know? So 
in that sense, yeah, like I've, I've learned that in the last couple of years, it's become real for me in a different way. And like, that feels really good. But today, <laughs> yeah, today, today, today was the worst day to ask you those kinds of questions. I'm about to call you back tomorrow. Um, how did you navigate the weird and the bad during the pandemic? Like when it got really weird, when it got really bad, how did you, how did you navigate through that and how weird did it get? I think like, I don't think it got any weirder for me than it got for other people, but it was like, yeah. like, so I don't, I'm not claiming any special insight or whatever into this but like it's like it's hard to be inspired by like this the monotony of some of it you know like we need like i do i guess like i sort of think about like art and whatever as like a response to life and life got pretty monotonous you know so it's like there was it was harder to sort of find stuff to respond to it was harder to like have those like unexpected conversations when you're not seeing people, you know, like, yes, like I was calling friends up on the phone or zooming with friends or whatever it was, but like, just like chance kind of was removed for a lot of us, you know, Mm -hmm. in Toronto in particular, like we had pretty long kind of lockdowns, like, you know, so, um, so that was like hard, like sort of, it was just sort of hard to find like the inspiration or find like, yeah, those things to be newly curious about, you know? Um, and then like the sort of un- perpetual uncertainty of when it was going to look different was hard, you know, like it's hard to make plans when you can't make plans, you know, like people are trying to tour again. Now it seems like, more or less it's happening but it's still like really hard to like imagine like doing like it's i i salute people's bravery and going out when like they don't know like everything could fall apart with like a positive covid test from the bass player or whatever right. you know what i mean right so like for almost anybody like big or small like the sort of margins are pretty pretty thin like if so if you have to, end up having to cancel a week of shows and pull up in a hotel somewhere. It's just like, it doesn't work. Right. So people are making it work. South by Southwest is on right now. I don't know. Like, good luck. I sincerely mean that, but it's, yeah. it's hard. It's hard to imagine taking that stuff on. So like, um, that is hard to navigate. Like when you don't know, you don't know what it looks like after the fact. I like, I, up until this year, I was the director of a music festival in Sacramento, New Brunswick called Sappy Fest. For the last five years, I was the director of it. And so I did three in, as a director, like in real life, three, you know, festivals in person. <laughs> and then we had these two sort of pandemic years. Um, and like, that was the most problematic part of the pandemic for me was just like figuring out like how it like, for my musical practice, it's like, okay, like there's no shows. Removing that framework of feeling like I should be playing shows was kind of ultimately a positive. It's like, oh, like that was just like a habit that was not super like, that's what I called music, but that wasn't music. Music is actually this thing, this part of it, you know, like playing right. guitar, you know, right. that's music. That's still there. Like the guitar is right there. You know what I mean? But like, um, the show, the idea of the show and the tour was sort of a 
more just like a habit that like I had identified as music, but it wasn't. So there was a satisfying way to reconfigure my thinking about music. There was not a satisfactory way to reconfigure thinking about a music festival, like a community gathering. Like you actually can't really like shift what's good about those things into like a different thought or a different model. Um, you know, we did some really cool projects online and sort of like as sort of in person, but like without the big, without a bigger audience and stuff, like we did some cool creative fun projects. So I feel good as like what we did, but it wasn't the same thing at all, you know? So like navigating like that was like just sort of an incredible stress because it's so unsatisfying. Like there's not a satisfactory answer. Like we need to be together. You know, the whole thing of like the music festival is like experiencing music and art, but it's not, it's ultimately about us experiencing it together. Right. Right. You know? It defeats the purpose to not to do it in any other way than together. Because like the magic that happens in that environment is like, yeah, like that show the Lido Pimienta just played was amazing. You know, it was a magic show, but the actual magic is like, oh, I just ran into that person like at the merch table and then we went and did this other thing. Like that's like, right. and like, I knew that early as like, as a director, like I had been involved with this festival for many years before, like as a, I was on the board for a while and I was a volunteer and I performed at it a million times. Like I was very familiar with it, but like when I became a director and started thinking about that and like, I was like, oh yeah, like I'm like, I'm making like the guest list essentially, but I'm not making the thing happen. The thing that's happening is like what everyone decides to do when they've come to this place together. Like that's the actual thing that people are going to remember and take away. And the thing that's going to like actually impact people's lives is like, I'm just trying to like sort of set the stage for it or whatever. Or like, like I say, like I'm the one that's inviting some like the guests or whatever right. to the park, like being the artist and stuff, you know? Cause it's also very much a music festival. Like we didn't have backstages and VIP rooms or anything like that. So it's like the whole idea was like everyone's spending time together. Like that's what was sort of beautiful and magic about, about it. Um, so that kind of thing felt like a real loss you know, through the last couple of years, for sure. You know, I was very aware of it. And I was very aware of it, of that loss in this, in that context of, of working that job. But um, yeah, but like the positive side, like I said, is like, oh, like it did re I was able to reconfigure how I thought about music and thought about like projects within making music and um, found really sort of satisfactory and sort of, satisfactory answers to that is like a problem you know so um it was good as a habit breaker i'd mm. say you know but bad because of you know a lot of the pain and death and suffering that it caused and also you know bad because of like the isolation you know of it well Stephen, thank you so much for talking uh this has been a really fun conversation and congratulations on volcano volcano Sweet. Thank you so much. It was, yeah, it was super fun to meet you.
such a nice guy, right? Stephen Lampke. Uh, wonderful conversation. His album, Volcano, Volcano, is also wonderful. Every time I listen to it, something crawls out of the speakers, something scrappy and charming that I missed the first 400 times. It's one of those albums. Keep listening to it, and all these kind of uh, hidden little textures show up and say, hi there. (laughs) And you go, whoa, that's cool. Uh, You've changed records.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with Steven's label and all the artists on it, including him. Uh, You can also follow me on Twitter at Ember's editor or on Instagram at Ember's podcast, or just email me editor at stereo embers magazine.com. Don't forget to check out bombshellradio.com to find out what makes our radio station tick. And also, in the category of things not to forget, don't forget that Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. I'm sure you're so glad that I'm reminding you of this. I'm sure it just slipped your mind and you're like, oh, I'm so grateful. That was the thing I was trying to think of. Go to the podcast platform that you prefer and uh, subscribe for free. Tell all your friends, rate and review. The order in which you do these things is not important. Thank you, as always, for listening to the show. And uh, let's do a uh, longer listen to the title track of Stephen's new album. This is Volcano, Volcano. Enjoy it. And again, thank you for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio. The rain will raise the vent. The night will raise the moon Rapid fence like a rotten tooth And the world is reordered from below There's floating lights behind your eyes Battleships and jellyfish From the ditch of fiction truth will rise And the world is reordered from below Floor window curtains raised Raise the window and call Played and disappear Distant thunder coming near The stutter raised the truth to ear And the world is reordered from below Every heart is laboring Eternal clatter of the broken things And all together we softly sing The world is reordered Volcano, volcano.